might be finding your place and uh, we've been working our way uh, we've been working our way down through these verses in first Peter chapter number one and we've been looking at the subject of be ready and uh, this is part three I believe in this thought uh, what we're preaching or what we're looking at tonight uh, will be the third message in this little series but we're looking at uh, the subject of be ready or being ready. And there's some things that we are to do as children of God uh, th- that we are to do or be doing in order to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, what drives us to these actions? Well, we, uh, you know, why are we to be ready? What are these things that we're looking at? Well, uh, we find those things or what drives us to be doing these things we find in the first part of the chapter. And so I'm going to recap real quick, uh, just so we don't forget uh, sight of the context here and what's going on. Then we'll get into tonight's message. There's some things that we have in Jesus Christ, and these things should motivate us. One thing that we have back in verse number three is hope. The Bible says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not only do we have hope, but we have an inheritance. The Bible says in verse number four, where the Bible says to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. I'm glad it's reserved in heaven because nothing can get to it up there. It's secure in Jesus Christ. And I am thankful for that inheritance. I'm, in, I'm thankful for that hope. And then uh, look in verse 5, we find keeping. Uh, it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight more, but I'm glad that I am kept by the power of God. I am not in control of keeping my salvation. If I were, I'd have already lost it. That's just the fact of the matter. If I could lose it, I wouldn't have it. Uh, And I'm thankful that the Bible tells me that I'm not kept by my own power, but I'm kept by the power of God. And uh, so then we see the keeping, we see rejoicing in verse 6. The Bible tells us to greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then... Verse number 12, we find privilege. And the Bible says, Unto whom it is it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the, desi- the angels desire to look into. Y'all, we are privileged tonight. Uh, we have a privilege to know what we know concerning the Word of God. We are privileged to be saved by uh, the grace of God tonight. We are a privileged people. And so understanding all of this, it all builds together. And because we have these things and because God has given us all of these things, then they ought to prompt us and inspire us to do something. Now, what is that something? Well, That's what we've been looking at for the last several weeks and going down through these verses. We've seen so far that we are to be, uh, to be girded. We find that in verse number 13. And, uh, that right there has everything to do with having a spiritual mind and having a sober manner. We are to be girded. Not only that, but 
because of the amazing salvation God has provided for us, we are to be growing. We are to be guarded. We find both of those things in verse 14. And then in verse 15 and 16, we find that we are to be, uh, to be godly. And uh, last week's message was all about uh, growing, being go- be growing, be guarded, and be godly. And so that brings us to what we're going to look at tonight for a little while. And uh, if you're keeping track of all those verses, we're in verse number 17. And so look at your Bibles with me here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 17 says this, And if ye call... Excuse me. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, now, let's, let's remember here, let's not lose sight of the context of what's going on in the epistle of 1 Peter. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to Christians that were scattered because of persecution. And they were having some really tough times. They were going through trials and tribulations. They were being persecuted for their faith in God. And so he is writing to them and and encouraging them. How is he encouraging them? Well, he's telling them, he is reminding them of what they have in Jesus Christ. That's when that's where we're talking about all of the salvation, the amazing salvation. And then he he once he reminds them of all of the uh, the heavenly inheritance and the hope that we have and and the beautiful just the, all of the wonderful things that we have in salvation, he starts telling them because we have this heavenly inheritance, because we have this hope, because we are privileged, then we need to live a certain way before God. Because guess what? He's telling them, God's coming back. He's going to come back. Jesus has promised as he left, he's going to come back. And so he starts telling them how they should live in light of what God has done for them and in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. And so in verse 17, we find another reason that we are to be ready. We're to be ready by doing these things for the second coming. But think about this. Uh, 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 not only should we be doing these things because Christ is coming back, but when he returns, he will judge according to every man's work. That's what verse 17 tells us. And, and uh, we find that the Lord has no favorites. I, I love how this is worded. It says, and if you call on the Father, which by the way, if you call on the Father, that means you're a son or a daughter, Right? So we know who he's talking to. We're talking about saved people here. We're talking about Christians. And it says, without respect of persons. Uh, I tell you what, uh, the, he has no favorites. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
Mankind has their favorites. Your boss has their favorites. And people have their favorites. But with God, He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care your sin. That's a wonderful thing when it comes to salvation, isn't it? I'm glad that, that you don't have to clean up before you come to church and before you come to God, before you get saved. You don't have to clean up. See, if you just give your life to Christ, He'll take care of the rest. And I'm so thankful for that. He doesn't pick favorites. He doesn't have any respecter of persons. And, and so um, men have a choice to be saved. God doesn't, you know, much like, you know, much uh, contrary to what a lot of the Calvinists, especially hyper-Calvinists, believe, God doesn't pick favorites. And you think about that. If God literally created some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell, how in the world could he not be a respecter of persons if that's the case? Yeah. No, you see, here's the thing. Mankind has a choice. Yes, I know God is sovereign. He's in control over everything. I fully believe that because that's what the Bible teaches. But let me tell you something. When it comes to salvation, the Bible also teaches that you and I have a choice in the matter. We can accept Christ or we can reject Christ. Now see, here's the problem, and this is where people get off in left field. They can't wrap their heads around that. I can't wrap my head around that. But that's what the Bible says, and I believe it. And so uh, men have a choice. They can accept uh, Jesus or they can, they can reject Him. And their rejection is what condemns them to hell. God does not show partiality. He's not a respecter of persons. He will show no partiality with believers either. And because of this, we should pass the time of our sojourning here in fear is what the verse says. Now, uh, look at verse 17 again. It says, And if you call on Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, because of this, it says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, that word fear means a sense of awe from having been struck with who God is and an alertness that results from that. Here's the thing, when it says the fear of God, and that's a big problem today, that nobody has a fear of God anymore, it seems. Even people in our churches don't seem to have a fear of God. And by that, I mean they have no respect for God. They have no respect whatsoever. And uh, the Bible here uh, tells us that, uh, that we ought to reverence God because of who He is. He's the creator. He deserves respect. And so when man has no fear of God, they do whatever they want. Now we're seeing that, aren't we? And uh, here's the thing. So that's what we're talking about here. We ought, to, we ought to live our life with a respect, a holy respect and a reverence for God because of who He is and what He has done for us. Now, that word pass, it means to conduct oneself. But it also means to turn upside down. I thought that was interesting definition. I mean, I mean it, it, to conduct oneself, to turn upside down. And, and I started thinking about that. That, is, that was just really interesting. And I'm thinking, well, how does that fit into this picture? Well, here's what it's saying. It's saying, <laughs> let, me just, let me just throw this out there. What it's saying is, as a child of God, because of what God has done for us, 
And because of the holy reverence that we have for Him, and all of the other things that we're talking about, being girded and being guarded and being growing and being godly, you know what we ought to do? We ought to turn the world upside down. You're like, preacher, where in the world did you get that? Well, I mean, I got it from another part of the Bible, actually. Here's the thing. While we are traveling through this world, while we are waiting, we'll not just be waiting on the second coming. We'll not be waiting on the rapture. No. We ought to be working while we're waiting. You see what I'm saying? And this passage right here, this verse... It's, 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 so to speak, it's telling us we ought to be living in such a way and conducting ourselves in such a way that we are turning the world upside down while we're waiting for Christ to come back. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, speaking of the first church or the first century church, that's what they did. As a matter of fact, that verse tells us it says, uh, this is the governors of the city they were in. It says, it says, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You know what happened in that passage, the context? Christians came to town. And as soon as they got in town, it, these guys took them to the governors, or you could say the authorities of that city, and said, hey, hey, these guys are bad news. They're turning the world upside down, and now they're here in our city. They were scared of them. And I think that's just amazing, because you know what they were really doing? They were turning the world right side up. I just love that. I really do. That just blessed my heart today when I was studying that. But anyways, Chuck Swindle, he pointed this out. He wrote, we're living in a world that doesn't like to talk much about the fear of God. People don't mind talking about the love, grace, mercy, and blessings of God. But to refer to God as the judge who evaluates our work, this kind of thinking bothers a lot of people today, even Christians. But Peter doesn't hesitate to refer to the great holiness and justice of God who demands reverence before Him. He would be wise to conform our attitude to Peter's words rather than to the world's preferences. Yeah. In other words, no matter what the world thinks, no matter what we're seeing, hey, we ought to be like, uh, I'll be honest with you, we, we need to see more. I don't know if y'all saw this or not, but we need more people like uh, the fellas that's on that, that plays on that NHL team that stood up and said, no, I'm not wearing a jersey that has pride on it. I don't know if y'all heard about that. They're probably doing a pretty good job of keeping that quiet. But one of them made a statement the other day that said, I don't hate you. I don't have a problem with you. You are free to live your life the way you see fit, but so am I. And he said, your lifestyle goes against the authority in my life, which is the word of God. And I will not put my stamp of approval on it. Now sadly, in the world that we live in, that young man probably just ruined his career. But, 
He's laying up some treasure in heaven. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know everything about what he believes, but I can sit back and say, Amen. Stand up for what you believe in. Even though it's not popular, even though it's against the world, we ought to fear God more than we fear the world. Yeah. And in verses 18 through 21, we find the fifth thing. That was a long introduction, but I'll try to be quick here. In verses 18 through 21, we find the fifth thing we are to be when it comes to being ready for the return of Christ. And it is this. This is where the song come in. We ought to be grateful. We ought to be grateful. We're to be girded. We're to be growing. We're to be guarded. We're to be godly. We are to be grateful. Hey, listen to me tonight. Nobody has more reasons to be thankful than those who have been saved from sin and are on their way to heaven for eternity. You know it? Nobody, not one person, will be thankful in hell that they lived in a $3 million home or traveled the world. And by the way, don't take that as if you live in a $3 million home, you're going to hell. I, that's not what I said, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. The world wants to put all of its efforts and all of its, all of its uh, uh, efforts in money, 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 build, 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 more, more, more. You get to hell, it ain't going to make no difference. Nobody in hell would be thankful Man, I lived it up. I was on earth. Now I'm in hell. Boy, it's good. No. No, they'd never say that. They would never say that. The rich man in Luke 16 begged for a drop of water in his torment. He pleaded for the man who ate crumbs from his table to come to his aid. Here's what I'm trying to say. Material possessions are not the most important thing in life. They never have been and they never will be. If you're saved tonight, then you're a child of the King. And you ought to be grateful for your standing in Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 and 18 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. There's a couple of things found in these verses here that we ought to be grateful for. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, we ought to be thankful for our, that we ought to be grateful that our redemption is not through human behavior. Yeah, we ought to be thankful. It ain't got nothing to do with us. Look in verse number 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You know, how futile is it that, that we believe, so many people believe that we can somehow work our way into heaven. To think that we can get to God by doing something noteworthy in our sinful flesh is absolutely preposterous. And yet it's everywhere. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 and 23 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Yeah. A lot of people trying to get to heaven in their own works, things that they have done, even in the name of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? 
Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the law tells us that we sin. The law condemns us and only condemns us. It could never save because guess what? It was not created to save. What the law does is it educates us on how we are not good enough to get to heaven by our human behavior. It tells us that and then it points us to a savior. It points us to Jesus Christ, who is the only way that anyone will ever get to heaven. Romans eleven six says this, and if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. I love reading Romans. Here's what he's saying. Grace is not given to us by anything other than the kindness of the giver. It was given to us, if it were given to us because of our performance or our potential, then it would not be grace. Yeah. If you have to pay for a gift, it's not a gift. It's not even a, I get, I, I get, I get in trouble when I go in stores nowadays. I hate this. They, they, they do the whole, all you see is buy one, get one everywhere. Well, buy one, get one in my mind is buy one, get one free. That ain't how it works anymore. It's like buy one, get one half off or something like that. Or now, you know, I don't like, I like going and finding a shirt for about 15 or, you know, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, something like that. But you know what they do now? You got to buy two of them at full price to get one for free. All right, so I don't care what the marketing says. That's not really a free gift. Why? Because I have to do something before I get that gift. That's not how salvation is, though. And I think, I think part of that's why people are so messed up on salvation. They're used to this world around us. Hey, man, ain't nothing free. Well, no, not in this world. It certainly ain't. You, a man can't even give you a free car anymore. You got to pay your taxes and registration and all that on it. Yeah, you know. I, I remember my grandpa when I was growing up, and he'd he'd watch uh, they'd watch uh, the Price is Right every day or something. You know, one of those shows. And somebody'd win just a fancy car, and I remember he, him saying one day, he said, "Yeah, if they gave me that, I still wouldn't take it because I couldn't afford the taxes on it." Yeah, right. Nothing's free, is it? And so we've got our minds, our minds are like that in the world that nothing's free. And even if it is free, you got to do something to get it. Salvation don't work like that though. Because it's grace and it's by grace. And if you have to do something to get it, then it's no longer grace. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. Romans 10, 1-4 says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. See, what's happening even today with the Orthodox Jews and the biggest part of the Jewish population, they still think they've got to keep the law in order to be saved. Nothing can be further than the truth because Jesus 
brought an end to the law. That's what Romans 10 says there. So let me ask you a question here. If we could go to heaven by being good or joining a church, then why in the world did Christ have to die on the cross? Yeah. Law says do, but grace says done. I'm thankful for that. Christ cry on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. He didn't even say, he didn't even say, okay, guys, I've done my part. Time for you to do something. No, he didn't say that. He said, it is finished. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Hmm. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, he wrote, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Mm. These people, that's what happens. They frustrate the grace of God when they believe that they have to add to salvation. Mm. every human effort comes short of the glory of God and so we should be grateful that one our redemption is not through human behavior I've already said it if I could lose my salvation it'd be lost I'm thankful that I'm kept by the power of God but look here and I'm almost done here's the second thing we ought to be grateful for our, re- our, our redemption is not through human behavior that's the first thing we ought to be thankful for but the second thing We should be grateful because our redemption is through His blood. Verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Hey, our redemption, thank God, had nothing to do with what we can do, but it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, He provided the means whereby lost, hell-bound sinners trapped in the futility of their wasted lives and who are headed to a godless, Christless eternity might be forever set free from the bondage and the shackles of sin. That they could be delivered from their torment. That is what redemption is all about. It had nothing to do with what we do. I bless His name tonight that He came to set the sinner free. He came to pay the price that we could not pay. He came to break uh, from our lives the chains of sin that binds us and, and He sets us free. He came to do for us that which we could never do ourselves. He came to save us from our sins and set us free to the living God tonight. And for that we ought to be grateful. We ought to be a grateful people. We ought to be the most thankful people in this this world because of what we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us this, verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that He should offer 
offer, uh, should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You know what that's talking about? And you know what the whole of Hebrews is talking about? It's talking about Christ is better. He was superior. He is superior. He was the superior sacrifice. He didn't have to come back every year and suffer through the, through the crucifixion year after year after year and continually shed His blood. No, He shed it once and for all. Why? Because He's perfect. Trusting anything else to get you to heaven will leave you condemned forever. And what a joy tonight though it is to know that Jesus paid it all through His shed blood. We can have forgiveness of sins. And that alone should make us grateful. Hey, Robert Lowry penned these lyrics. He said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> nothing can my sin erase, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of works, tis all of grace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hey, thank God tonight for the blood of Jesus our Lord. The blood of Jesus is the price that was paid to redeem us from sin and eternity separated from God in hell. And you know what? We can never pay God back the price that He paid for us. But you know what we can do? We can live a life that is motivated by the love of God and thankful for the gift of God. Yes, we can. He paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. We ought to be a grateful people. I ought to be a grateful people for the blood of Jesus tonight. Hey, these things should motivate us. The blood, the salvation, the inheritance, the peace. Oh, my soul, we are a blessed people. We are a privileged people. And because of all of that, mm, we ought to be grateful. Let's stand and bow our heads, close our eyes tonight. Miss Dawn, you come play for us.